Welcome back to In Residence. I'm Keith. I'm Laura. All right. So last time we were talking about getting started. Yes. It's a good place to start. Yes. And we kind of kind of got on a tangent of perfectionism, right? It's a it's a way that we have seen that prevents me from starting. And my perfectionism is a way for me to kind of hide from starting, right? I don't want to start something if I don't think I can do it right. I don't want to start something sometimes because it's just doesn't seem like it's something I can do, I guess. But you said to me that that isn't always the case for you. And that, so you said perfectionism doesn't necessarily show up in preventing you from starting. Right. So I want to talk to you a little bit more about what perfectionism is for you or like how it's showing up for you. Perfectionism for me, and I think when we were recording last time and talking through it, it shows up for me, but in in more of a specific way, I guess, because I don't necessarily have a hard time starting most things or even finishing things because I think that they won't be perfect. I think last time we talked, I'm a little bit more ready for fire aim, but perfectionism for me shows up more so in kind of looking it's almost more relationship based for me, like showing up the way I want to be seen and have people view me in the way that I think that I should be or I should show up. And so it's this interesting, it's not quite people pleasing, but it's it's a, a feeling of making sure that I'm showing up in a way and coming across in a way and perceived in a way that I want to be seen or viewed as, if that makes sense. And so sometimes my perfectionism, like uh, not posting things on LinkedIn or something like that, sometimes the, the reason I hesitate isn't because I'm concerned about starting. I'm more concerned about how will I show up and what will people think and how will they perceive what I put out there. It's the same thing with this podcast. How will I show up? How will people perceive it? And is it in an alignment with what I want them to see and what I want them to take away from me? Yeah. So I don't know if that that makes sense. Um, it's it's not really something I've thought a lot about before. I mean, I care what people think of me. I care what certain people think of me. And I kind of have that luxury where I don't have to care so much, but you're a little more, you you work in a space where you need to have multiple relationships with a lot of people and there's a pressure to show up in a certain way, right? Externally, but internally too, right? Like, so I think there's kind of a two things there. Like there is a outside pressure to show up in a space in a certain way, but you also put that pressure on yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so let's say like with posting to LinkedIn, you've done a couple, right? Over the last week. Yep. Yep. I have So two. I don't know if we would just want to dive into like, well, how did you just, did you just not care? And so you did it like, oh, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to care. Like you do care. Yep. So how did you go about doing it then? Well, I mean, I think I, yeah, you're right. I guess I do. I do care. And it was, it was actually, it was really hard to put it out there. And I think like the way I did it was I, I had you look at the stuff before I put it out. You helped me like, which picture is better? This is what I'm trying to go for. Like, does this convey that? Like I had to be vulnerable because I really trust you and your perspective, but I, it's amazing how much thought 
and um, consideration maybe went behind what do I post? What do I say? Is it good enough? Am I showing up the way I want to show up? But I think that that's how I maybe got over some of that is I I had you look at the, the things and help me read through what message I wanted to say. It was kind of like you were kind of my like Laura filter. (laughs) Sure. So to speak. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, So, I mean, that that sounds tiring, like feeling that felt heavy, like you just explaining the process of making a post. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, how are you going to keep doing it it if it feels like that every time? Or did like from zero to one posts, was that hard? And then the second post, was it a little easier or... Uh, so zero to one was hard. Mm-hmm. The second post wasn't as hard because I felt like I was still playing with it and trying to find my voice. I'll admit I have two more posts that I've thought about posting and I haven't done anything with it. One from last Saturday, one from this Thursday. Um, I'm going to ask if you made a post of that. Nope. Cause it's it like, doesn't. it's like our wheelhouse. Like it was the music program, right? Yeah. Yeah, I had gone to a a concert and it was an amazing concert. And I took some pictures and I was going to post about it and I just didn't. And then I didn't the night of because I was tired. And then the next day I didn't because I had a busy day and then I just didn't. And then I felt like it was too long. And then I thought, well, but maybe it's still okay. But then I started thinking, no, but... I have a post from last Saturday. I was going to post this Saturday, but then I didn't do that either. So I'm like, well, maybe you could still, but does that make sense? So I'm overthinking it for sure. Well, we both overthink things, It's just, but we don't necessarily overthink the same things. Right. And so like that, I, that like posting about that stuff, I would just post it out there, but there's, I don't even know how many, like I'll overthink what TV to buy just mm-hmm. to, to name something really simple and easy, but it, it, it's not on purpose, right? Like we're in our own head. Yep. And so do you have any strategies to get away from, like we talked before, like to do cer- certain work, you change your scenery. Sure. You usually have to snap me out of my overthinking and be like, well, you just get on with it or just make a decision. (laughs) Like what's the worst that could happen kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I, um, I think like one, one thing, maybe I know I do read quite a bit. I also have, I work with an executive coach who helps me work through some of this stuff too. I know you and I have lots of conversations about it. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think those things help, help me like figure out, okay, so what's the worst that's going to happen? So we're be one strategy. So talking about reading, we're trying to read slash listen to the book. Uh, do you remember what it's called? Um, here I'll find this. Uh, it's the Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control, right? Right. I think. Yep. Yeah. You're right. I think we both index on learning to help us overcome obstacles, right? Yeah. And we so do. we like to read. Uh, I like to listen to books and read books. I think I found this one somehow, right? Yeah. I don't know. How, I, I I don't know why it stood out to me. Added it to the cart or whatever, and then I think you saw it. We've been trying to listen to it or read through it, uh, just to kind of like help us get some more perspective, right? Okay, what are these things that are limiting us? Like we we both have perfectionist tendencies, right? Right. But in different ways, and this book talks about a few different ways that it shows up in people. Yeah. Well, and I I think 
the one thing that just to go back to why it's intriguing for me is so you and I are both musicians. And how often have we heard the phrase practice makes perfect, right? So there's there's like this this idea that if you work hard enough and you do the work, that perfection is the ideal goal. I also think on the other side, the thing that I've been trying to contend with is that there's this ideal goal, right? That as musicians, you strive to get to. But then at the same time, there's also this idea that perfection, perfectionism and being perfect and striving for that from a personality standpoint is somewhat seen as a bad thing. Like, oh, you're a perfectionist. You're just a perfectionist. Yeah. You know? And so there's like this, these two sides that are just really... um Conflicting. Conflicting, right? And they're hard to handle because in one side, it's like, yes, you want to strive towards things being permanent and smoother, right? But then you also don't want to be labeled necessarily a perfectionist because what what's the stigma and connotations about the character flaw that that brings and your rigidity? Right. Interesting. So something I learned in studying music, actually, studying classical guitar, my instructor, he kind of changed my my thought on that by saying practice makes permanent. It was because I, I was practicing, but I was practicing like on tempo. I wasn't practicing slow enough. So I kept making the same mistakes. And so he's like, he's like, slow down and do it right. And then get up to tempo as you go. And just if you keep doing it the same way, you're going to keep making the same mistakes. So it was just funny that you brought that up. And it was from the music program too. So right. I, I totally agree. Like, I mean, I need to remind, I, I'm just thankful that I can remind myself of that, of like, okay, it it's never going to be perfect. <laughs> I have to get that in my head. But at, at the same time, like you said, it's conflicting because we want everything to be perfect because if you get 100%, that's perfect. But then like you go away and you're so, per- like I can be so particular that I drive you crazy. <laughs> and that's not good for our relationship if I'm expecting something to be a certain way that it really doesn't matter. It's just that I, it's kind of ingrained in me that no, if you're going to do it, might as well do it right. It's like, well, there's a spectrum to that. It's interesting that conflict of we're kind of programmed to strive for perfection, but then there's also, there's a stigma to it. Right. So that's, that's a, that's, that's interesting. The one thing, I guess we've been reading through the book, the thing that I thought was interesting and you start talking about this was about that there's different types of perfectionism. And I still remember this, we've been married for over 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. Just check me on my math there. Yeah, over 15. <laughs> I think it was only a couple of years ago that I think, I think I said to you that I was a perfectionist and you kind of laughed out loud at me. <laughs> You're like, uh-huh, sure. <laughs> I'm not just prob- like that. It was probably like, what are you talking about? I don't think you know what that means. <laughs> it, show- it definitely shows up for us differently. Hey, everybody. Just a quick note. The Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control, A Path to peace and power. The author's name is Catherine Morgan Schaffler. In our attempt to get past perfection, we never actually mentioned the author's name. So I just wanted to drop that in there. All right, let's get back to the episode. It definitely shows up for us differently. So do you want to talk through was just the different types of perfectionism, maybe? And and not because 
I'm trying to put us all in these clean little boxes because I don't think that's necessarily helpful. But I think for me, it was helpful to try and articulate what it was that really helped me or how it shows up for me because it's, it's a little hard to get my, it was hard to get my head around how to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good to, to the way that she talks about it in the book. I like it because it's not about, I don't know, I I haven't finished the book yet, but it's talking about how it shows up in different people, but I, I could see myself in a couple of the different categories. It just depends on what's going on. Just that overarching idea of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. I just, I've, I wrote down a quote that I thought was interesting too. Mm-hmm. And then we can go through the different yeah. kind of types. Take it away. They talk about perfectionists, that they never stop noticing the gulf between reality and the ideal. And they never stop longing to actively bridge that gap. I remember listening to that part and I was like, yeah, right. I'm always trying (laughs) (laughs) to bridge the gap between reality and the ideal. Yeah. Like I want it to be this way, but realistically it just needs to get done, you know? And so, uh, I, I will delay in trying to make something perfect. And I mean, that's one of the types, you know, so we'll we'll get, get into it. Yeah. Get, get to the types. Okay. So she talks about five different types. And the first is the classic perfectionist. This this type is really what you would think about when you think of a perfectionist. They take pride in their, their perfectionism. Um, they show up polished. Um, they have a strong work ethic and they just show up perfect. I don't know if there's anything more. I don't see myself as a classic perfectionist necessarily. I don't know about you, Keith. I think the the only part that stood out to me in that way where I was like, yep, yep. Because w- like, I don't show up perfect, but I'm always trying to do whatever task, whether I'm assigned the task or it's a task that I've set out for myself. I'm always trying to do it the right way. I've said that a lot, you know, on here. <laughs> like I'm always like, so there's a, a pretty heavy layer of if you're going to do it, do it right. It, it's always kind of like over my head a little bit like that. I'm always trying to like, not like, I think we, I, I want to strive for perfection, but I also like the, the idea of like you strive for it, but you also need the realization that you're never going to attain it. And the point isn't to be perfect. Like, again, I, I have to tell myself this because I didn't, I grew up thinking it had to be perfect, but I think the loftier goal I've, I'm finding is just the attempt of trying to make it the best you can is what I try to strive for now. There's always that little nagging part of me that's like, I got to do it right. (laughs) Yeah, kind of those high standards for yourself. Yeah, yeah. The second type is the one that I will say resonates the most with me. So it's the Parisian perfectionist. And so this one is all about how people see you. So the perception of how people see you. And the reality and wanting to show up in the way that you want people to perceive you. And the thing that I thought this that's interesting about this, and you can reflect back to me if if this resonates with with like how maybe you see me, but part of it um is about You want you want me to tell you how I see you. That's so funny. Like <laughs> I think this is exactly why this is strongly my, my, strongly your category. Yes. <laughs> So it's, it has a layer of wanting to appear effortless in life, in the work that I'm doing, 
there's this this sense of kind of that who do I think I am to be be doing things. So there's this uh, sense of I don't know if it's imposter syndrome or or what it is, but then that I'm also emotionally influenced in how others perceive me because whether or not I want to admit it, it I do have a strong desire to to have people see me in a way that's positive. I. I think you care way too much what other people think. You like you care too much about what a lot of people think. And I like I said, I care what people think, but there's maybe a handful to maybe two handsful of people that I actually care what they think of me. So I'm a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy. I don't care if I'm supposed to not be wearing t-shirt and jeans. I like wearing t-shirt and jeans, right? Whereas if you're walking next to me and I'm wearing t-shirt and jeans and you think that maybe I shouldn't be, you're going to be embarrassed because you care what all these random strangers around us are thinking, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I mean, I just, I may may be naive about it, but it's just like, I just, I don't want to, I don't, I, like, I can't expend that much energy caring what a bunch of people think of me. There's only a select few people that I really care about that much to let them, af- their thoughts of me affect me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I will say I hear you. And sometimes I am surprised at how much I'm irked about how others perceive me. What if that makes sense. What do you mean you're irked by how others perceive you? So I, I sometimes I'm surprised when uh, a random comment on LinkedIn just gets under my skin. And it's like, how could that person think that that's, that's like how, how I would show up? Right, you know, like I right. think I, I take things really to heart of they should know that that's not what I, I want to, I want to. I don't know if condones the word, but that's not, that's not what I believe in or what I value. I mean, those types, like there's comments of like why I got off of some social media because I don't want to deal with certain people's comments Yeah, because they're just being contrary to be contrary. Well, I mean, I think trying to think of a good example. So if I say I was posting, because I think that's the one that right now for me is the one I'm struggling with and I have a goal to to have a, a more intentional presence on social media related some to my my personal life, but really like building the idea of kind of a personal brand too. So I, I think I'm, as I'm doing that, maybe an example could be if I do a post. And so, so here's a good example, maybe. And this is a hypothetical because it hasn't happened yet. But say I was to post about the music program, mm-hmm. right? Um, that I went to this concert. What an amazing event. Thank you to all the musicians, blah, blah, blah. And I posted that out there. And somebody from a different area sees that I posted that. My fear or the thing I worry about is, will people think, oh, she's favoriting that program because that's the program she graduated from? Would people think... Oh, well, she's um playing favorites. And so I don't know how my brain gets there and I see your facial expressions right now. Well, you you work there. I <laughs> I work there, but I also have a leadership position there. So I I think there's this fear. Oh, oh you mean so people within the same institution might be like, "Oh, why is she 
Yeah. Putting messages out about that program and not our program. Right. Oh, okay. Or I get that. Yeah. On, on the other side. You shouldn't care about that stuff. I know. Thanks, honey. <laughs> but on the other side, like say I post on Instagram and it automatically goes to Facebook, right? And all I post about is work stuff. Will people that I went to high school with or friends and family think, geez, all she does is work. Wow. Okay. And why would you care about that? It, like, because that's what I don't I, get. Why do you care what people think? All she does is work. Who cares what they think? You, we know you, it's not all you do. <laughs> Why do you care what they think? I don't know. I mean, I think it goes back to that idea of being effortlessly perfect. I guess. Sorry. Right. I don't, and I don't mean to be. No, it's good. That's is, sometimes it, those questions can help shake but, me but so the, I can. The, the point of. Get out of that paralysis. That, the point, this is the the one question about that is the reason you care is because you care how people will perceive you. Yep. Now, I'm asking why do you care? doesn't really help because you do. It's just the only reason I'm saying is why do you care is because I don't. Like, I don't, I post, like, I post things that I care about because it's an in, in that way, I attract more people that care about the things that I'm posting about. If it's not for you and you're going to come to my post and complain, you haven't told me anything except for that it's not for you. So why are you even here? And that that is like me just saying, okay, you can go. It's not for you. And that's okay. And that's like building any community. Like I think the strength is in we're not for everyone. And I don't want to be for everyone because we just don't agree on a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, I can't get there. Really? <laughs> because I care. I don't know why I care, but I care. And I think there's there's like this piece where I care about a lot of people yeah. on a human level. No, but, I know. But I could care less what they think of me. Just want to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to bat for people I disagree with on a human level, but if they don't like the color of my socks, I don't care. See and I I would think if somebody doesn't like the color of my socks, I'm like, well, maybe they didn't just, maybe they didn't see the picture the way that, that it actually looks because maybe that color of purple is just better in person than online. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. All right. There's a, Should we, do you, th- there's more types, right? Yeah. Do you, do you want to keep going? Yeah. Okay. We so, don't have to, but. Oh, the other thing I did want to mention, and this is what resonated with me about how she described Parisian, is she said that the name Parisian is after the way French women exude an aesthetic sense of effortlessness when it comes to beauty, but behind the scenes do a lot more work than they care to admit or want others to know about. It's interesting. Yeah. So you get to see behind the curtain. Well, and now I've told everyone, on whoever's listening to the podcast, <laughs> behind the curtain. Do you care too much? What? That I care too much and I get bothered that I do care how people perceive or don't like the color of my socks. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I know the next one because I, I made the list. The next one is me. A lot of me, right? Yep. So it's the procrastinator, yeah. perfectionist. Do you want to talk a little bit about what this looks like or shows up like? Well, it's it's kind of. I mean, you have the you have the stuff in front of you, but procrastination is kind of my wheelhouse because I spin because I'm always waiting for the perfect time to start, right? And is this this is this the same one too? Is like 
also like once you've already started, it's no longer has the capacity to be perfect. Yep. Right. Yeah. And so that I was like, oh, this is a whole lot of me, like this, a whole barrel full of Keith right here. And it's, I mean, I need to like, I need to like journal on this just to like work through it because I'm so afraid of failing. I'm so afraid of doing it wrong that I'm like, this is, this is me. This is a lot, a lot of me. I see myself in, in some of the other ones and like, I do care what other people think. And I'm a classic, like I got to do it right. But I think this procrastination is like, it's my, the stalling tactic. It, it's a, it's a, this procrastination is a good place to hide too. And so it's like a kind of like a double-edged sword of one, I have high, super high standards, but two, I'll never accomplish them. It's, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing that I highlighted as we were going through it, was it also said that the more self-aware that procrastinator perfectionists are, the more frustrated with themselves they can become. So what, what are you saying there? I'm just wondering, because I, I see you as a pretty self-aware human. Yeah. And you, so do I me, don't know if Do you that... see me frustrated often? <laughs> I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> Thank you. I'll let you answer I think, that. I think everybody can read between the lines there. Yes, I'm self-aware. Yeah. 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 Still waters run deep. Mm -hmm. So, and the other thing I just want to talk about, if you're okay with that as well. I don't know what you're going to talk about, so go for it. As she was talking about that the procrastinator perfectionist is actually her favorite type to work with. Because there's... Give her my number. (laughs) <laughs> there are two <laughs> things, kind of revolution or revelations, revelations, not revolutions. Once individuals that have this type of perfectionism kind of start realizing it and they realize these two things, it just opens up so much of what they can do. So the the first is that it's not just talent that rises to the top, it's persistence. Yeah. Okay. And then the other thing she talks about is, well, change does always involve loss. Not changing involves a much deeper loss. Sorry, I'm getting a little deep there. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I'll have to highlight that in my copy. Yeah. I like that. Uh, That's interesting because like I was on on another podcast at the beginning of the year and they kind of brought up like, oh, you know, it was kind of like a beginning of the year, end of the year kind of thing. And they're like, oh, what are your kind of your goals? And we all we all kind of agreed like, oh, you know, we're trying to gonna try to be healthier, you know, and like me, it's like more strength training, nutrition and all that. And then also what I what I said, aside from that, my goal for this year was to be more consistent and persistent. So that kind of like hits with me that you found that little blurb there, because it's kind of what I'm striving for. And it's in the way that I research to find inspiration to take action. The thing that comes up a lot is finding a way to persistently be consistent. And so, and I mean, that's kind of what we're trying to do here too, as we fumble and stumble our way through getting this habit down and, and building what we're building here. It's just, you gotta just show up and that's the only way you're going to get change. And yeah, it might be scary to change, but not changing is even like, it's not going to end well. Right. So I like that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, of course. I do want to say one thing that you talked about the starting the podcast and like trying to talk through it and that it's scary, right? And it's like getting started is kind of hard with that. And I just want to note, if you look over at our little whiteboard that the last two times we've put like some notes on, what do you see, Keith? Episode three, perfectionism, and then nothing else. We couldn't get the perfect outline today. No, we couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's so it is blank. Yeah, it's a pretty much blank whiteboard. So we may need to take a picture of that and post it on social, but what will people think? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. I like it. Uh, the next type is messy perfectionists. And uh this type is is more about individuals who take on lots of different things. So they love starting things, but they aren't great at finishing. Yeah, I, I kind of this kind of resonated with me a little bit, which I think it kind of goes hand in. It seemed like it went hand in hand with the procrastinator, too, because I think when I once I start something, when they talked about in the procrastinator, like you start something and therefore it can never be perfect again, kind of thing. It, it, mm-hmm. Like as soon as you flip that switch, you can't unflip it. And so then the messy procrastinator, it you start things but maybe don't finish. It's like I I I start a lot of projects and I don't necessarily finish them or finish them as quickly as I would like because I'm trying to make it perfect. And so I resonated with that a little bit. But also it made me think of you, but. It's because you start, you have so many projects going or uh-huh. you, you want so many things to, to, to be done. And you're like, oh, well, and this thing and this thing and this thing. And then I, I get overwhelmed and I'm like, it's just, okay, we got to make a list, you know? <laughs> right. And I, I can't hold all that in my head. I don't have the recall, but not to project that upon you because you, you finish stuff. Like you start, you finish, but it's not up to like maybe my standards, right? Oh, like, yeah. like my particularness. And so it's, it, it's a little bit there, but like for, for me a little more for sure. So one of the quotes that kind of speaks to how this resonates with me is that messy perfectionists blatantly ignore limitations and don't accept the notion that while you can do anything, you can't do everything. Right. I, I feel like I've said that to you before, like in not so many words. I'm like, do we really have to do all of it? All the things? Like we're, we're, we don't need to do all the things. Pick, pick two. Pick two. <laughs> And it's like, but but we can do it if we really try. Yeah. Ugh. And then we can fit it all in. It's just, yeah. It's normally setting ourselves up to fail. It's just exo- <laughs> it's exhausting. Yeah. I do see myself in this one a little bit because you're right. I do I do like to start and I can if it's something that has to be done perfectly, sometimes that does I mean, I have lots of projects, like craft projects, like in my closet that aren't done because I just haven't gotten around to finishing them, but I started them. You know, there, I have how many thirds of a crocheted scarf, uh-huh. you know, in, uh-huh. in my closet right now. But more often than not, I, I do what you were kind of saying is, is, can I get to that 90%? I think the, and this might be a whole nother episode. I don't know, but there's a book called, um, Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done by John Acoff. I might have that on Audible or maybe I've heard like a podcast with him on or something. That sounds really familiar. Yeah, he does a lot of different books. He has a book called Soundtracks and this book. This one really resonated with me. And I think I think this is something that I think is important to think about with perfectionism as he talks a lot about the day after perfect. And so the idea that what are you going to do the day after it's not perfect anymore? That's what's going to get you to to finish your goal or finish your project. That idea of, okay, like yesterday wasn't perfect. It wasn't what you planned or thought was going to happen. But your decision today to show up or today to get partially there can can be helpful. I think I think I say to you a lot, like your ninety percent is most people's a hundred percent. 
Right. Or something like that, you know, like, because, well, maybe is that maybe because sometimes you'll just kind of fiddle with things to make it perfect or mm-hmm. and I'm like, just it's, it's good enough. Move on kind of thing. Yeah. I, I struggle with that too, but, um, my, my struggles with those feelings are much lower stakes than yours. Like you, you are, you're playing at a much a table with higher stakes than me when it comes to, you know, if I, if I cut some corners in my work at, you know, whatever I'm working on, it's not really going to affect more than like 10 people in our life. (laughs) Whereas if you cut certain corners, it's going to affect thousands of people. But I will say, I mean, the thing that like, yes. And I also think getting back to that idea of not talking about it as necessarily cutting corners. But I guess that's not quite what I meant. Yeah. I think of it more as, as like get to 90% and that's a good draft. Yeah. That's a really good way of thinking about it. You know, like I do that with grant writing or with, you know, when I have to write like a big report or something or presentation, Mm -hmm. you got to get there and it's not going to be perfect right away. And if it was, I mean, I don't know if I've ever been in any sort of room with leaders where you do a project, everyone's like, nope, no questions, no modifications, no edits. That makes me think of just being realistic, right? Going back to that, being aware of the fact that there can always be improvements and not pretending like something's perfect. Should we go to the last type? Yeah. Which is intense perfectionism. I All I remember is it was kind of they're direct, transparent, and kind of impulsive, right? Like, right. or emotional so more, or something. More of a wild card in how they react. Okay. And that made me think like emotional. I think yep. maybe, maybe that's where that emotional came from. I was like, oh, kind of a, like showing up however they want to show up, regardless or something. I, I can't quite right. yeah. remember, but. And I don't know if this resonates as much with either of us, does it? No, I kind of like, I, I mean, I know how to show up in spaces. Even though I talk about like, oh, I'm just going to show up in t-shirt and jeans. It's like, well, if if there's a dress code, I'm gonna and I have to go. I'm gonna I'm gonna put something on that I can not embarrass you wearing. I I'm not I'm not super impulsive because I'm a procrastinator and I want to plan and I want to make sure it's going to be right. So I mean, I can be impulsive in some things, but not now when the stakes are high. I guess. So I mean, I I think. Overall, I I think it's helpful, right, to the one thing I appreciated just about reading through through the types is it does show that perfectionism's more comp not more complicated, but incredibly more nuanced. And it doesn't being a perfectionist doesn't mean necessarily that it's bad. It's just recognizing it. And then how can you harness those things to be your superpowers? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the author, she says that in one spot and it kind of stood out to me. I think I made a little note of like, you know, finding a way to hone those gifts into skills, you know, that can, can serve you and serve others, you know, it's, and not, I guess maybe not feeling the shame of it possibly. Like we talked about like right. that, a duality of like, it's so good in this aspect, but then in this aspect, everyone will kind of ridicule you for being such, you know, this or that. And you're, you have to be so perfect. It's like, well, it could, it can be a strength, but just like anything, it's like, it can be a strength or it can be a weakness if you over index it. Right. Right. You know, it's one of those, if I, um, if I, Overprocess and overprocess the posting to social. Eventually, I just won't, right? Yeah. One thing, if it's okay, I want to just. So I pulled up John Acuff's book just 
quickly. Yeah. And one of the things that he says in there that the problem with perfectionism is that it magnifies your mistakes and it minimizes your progress. And that really resonated with me too, because like the only thing that I'm talking about right now and feeling is the two posts I didn't post. Right. I'm not thinking about the two I did and the reaction I got to those, which was incredibly positive. Yeah. All I'm thinking about is the two that I failed to launch. So there is a few other things that you had noted in the book as well. I don't think that's from the book. Isn't it? It's just things I thought of from listening to the book. We'll talk about them. Why? Because I think that they were interesting thoughts and it it advances the idea of perfectionism beyond defining it. Okay. If you're okay with that. Yeah, it's fine. So I must have been choring or something and listening to the book, but I had to stop and like write down... uh, it, it basically what she must have said something that made me think of what are what's my goal and i think my response to that was or she either said this or my response to it was my goal is to engage in work that engages me and that's kind of what i'm looking for is i'm not i'm not waiting for work to engage me like i need to engage in it kind of thing. Like I don't wait to be picked kind of mentality that like no one's going to pick me for their baseball team. If I want to be on a baseball team, I'm going to have to make it and I'm going to have to organize it kind of thing. So, um, and then that kind of led, so I think I just kind of started going on like a little, little ramble out of my head and it's just, um, isn't that empowering and a little freeing to feel, to feel like you don't have to sit back and just wait for something to present itself for an opportunity, but, but that you can kind of make your own path. Yeah. So the thing that I struggle with that is that I was ingrained to wait to be picked. And so the way that we are educated is we stand in a line and like, let's say it's dodgeball, right? And the gym teacher goes down the line and just counts off one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, or they assign two captains for baseball and people pick you. Well, that's not how it works anymore. If you're waiting to be picked, like American Idol is not going to pick me. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, so it's, it's scary if it's all, you know, is to sit and wait to be picked, like wait for the promotion, right? Well, here, don't wait for a promotion, show people that you're indispensable and that they're going to be worse off if you you go because you're so incredible. Well, it's it's not even. I don't that mean that to sound spiteful. I don't mean to sound spiteful. It's like you're sounding a little. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to say it's... like what you're saying. Like, it, look towards the empowerment of you have the you have the ability to make your own path by being indispensable you but have I, but what you're saying still though by being indispensable is undeniable i think is no, what i mean well but, but you're still relying on others to the end of the day recognize that you're indispensable and undeniable to pick you it feels like maybe and so i mean how like, many how many founder ceos can there be though like i mean so somebody's going to have to be the number three, four, five, six, seven at a, at a job. That's true. I'm not saying that like, it's a bad thing. I'm just, but I, 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 what I'm getting from what you're saying though, is that you're thinking within the playing field that you have, you're not thinking about different, you're not thinking beyond. And I'm not trying to say that like, that's bad necessarily, but like, here's an example. Mm Mm-hmm. 
to to get to the position I am right now, I had to make a series of really intentional career moves, right? And shifts. I went from in my field that I went to school for to a really intentional data type role back into my field. And I, um, and maybe that's kind of what you're talking about, but there was a point too, where there was skills that I was gaining that weren't necessarily in my primary field. And I, I mean, sometimes like it's safer maybe to stay in the, like playing the sport. If we're going to like a sport metaphor, like you're used to playing, right? The career and the field that you're used to being in, but there's so many competencies and skills that can benefit in different areas. I agree. And so, you know. But I mean, so I think you're, you're almost, and I'm not trying to be contrary or, or spar with you, but your your example of you going away from what you studied to get more skills, right? In mm-hmm. is what I'm talking about. Like you made like people noticed that. I'm not saying you do it so people notice. I'm saying you acquired skills that gave you an advantage over other people. And so when you bring and then you bring up sports, it's like it makes me think of like boxers going and taking ballet so they can work on their footwork. Yeah. It makes so when I'm talking about making yourself indispensable, it means more of you're leveling yourself up and giving yourself more of an opportunity to succeed at whatever you want to choose. I think I mean I think we're saying the similar things. We're just saying it differently, maybe. Yeah. I, I guess maybe I was thinking that you were saying that you should get the different skills to benefit the current situation and position that you're assuming. No, I'm saying in company that you're. I'm with. saying you do what's going to help you succeed in where you want to go. And okay, I mean if that's for a company, that's fine. Like I and that, and that's why I said if you want to be the number three, four, five at a company, that's great. You know, that's a kind of a Gary Vee thing. Some people will be much happier being number 11 employee than the founder that has to constantly worry about where payroll's coming from next month. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, I'm all about like people being empowered to, and like having that agency is kind of what you were saying in, in that, that empowerment of choosing what you want to be. Right. Yeah. So I was just saying that it's, it's more work for me to to think that way because I'm used I think I I learned at a younger age back to perfectionism show up the right way do it right make it perfect and then somebody'll give me a sticker and then I'll be Do you like stickers? I kind of you used to get stickers on your paper? Yeah. I did. Feel felt good being getting a, getting a sticker, you know, cuz I got 100% or 90, you know. I wasn't always 100% obviously, but perfection is a myth and it's a place to hide is what I need to remind myself of. And there's a lot more you can do if you kind of forget trying to attain something that isn't realistically possible. One thing when you're talking about kind of being raised, at least this is what I heard, kind of being raised to do things the right way or perfect or the way that you should do it. Yeah. I mean, it's from family. It's from schooling. You know, it's just, I mean, I, I think it's just kind of what I, it's just what I experienced. I'm ch- My eyes have kind of been opened beyond that now. Like, anyway, go ahead. What were you saying? <laughs> what were you saying? <laughs> no. So I guess what I was saying is I feel, and I, I know I see it just slightly different 
Good. Maybe. Um, just because of some of the conversations that I had when I was growing up. So, I mean, I'm, you know, cisgender female. Mm -hmm. Um, and I grew up in the eighties and stuff like that, but I know I can't tell you how many conversations I had with my mom or with uh, my grandma, but especially my mom around gender roles and breaking free of those. And so I'm not trying to get all deep about gender and, and all of that. But I think that there's what's interesting is that yes, there was some of those perfection type things that were baked into me via you know, music and school and get good grades. But I think there was also that pressure being, being a woman, like that pressure that society thinks that you should be doing specific types of careers that you should, and things have changed since then. Um, but that I, I, well, but we're still working on it, right? Yeah, we're it's always we're always working on it. But I do think that that was something that having that experience and all those conversations growing up definitely shook my what uh what girls could do and what girls can do. It shifted it from you should be to what do you want to be. So it's kind of it was more of an empowering agency type conversation and uh and I don't know if that, in, I mean, it, I'm sure it influenced me. I know it influenced me, but I wonder if that also influences too somewhat how I show up around doing the the right thing the way people think I ought to do it. Um, but at the same time, I do care about what people think. So I don't know. Maybe it's all baked into there. Yeah, I didn't have to deal with that. So I'm a cisgender male. The role that I'm in the role I come from, they don't want change. They want things to stay how it is. But I mean, we don't have, our relationship is much different than our parents and what they grew up in, in a way of gender, stereotypical gender roles, right? Like I stayed home with the kids. I'm really good at taking the garbage out. Yeah, because you wake up. (laughs) But you know, I was really good at staying up until three in the morning because the kids were crying, right? Yep. Um, I was good at going to work. Yeah. I can go to work too. Jeez, don't make it sound like I can't hold down the job. <laughs> oh no! Oh gosh. Okay, you're gonna have to cut that out. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't saying I can go to work and you won't go to work. I'm just saying I think people. I will say p- the one thing that I always struggle with because people often ask me, and they always have, right? Like, so what does your husband do? Mm. Like, and it's an, an you know a, a name question, right? Like, it's a small talk type question. And to say, oh, you know, I often will say, oh, well, he's um, stay-at-home parent or, you know, depending on where we were at in our life. But people are like, oh, well, that's so new age. You were talking about not finishing things, right? So one thing that I thought about, and this is maybe a little lighter, I have a rule around book reading, so growing up, I'll I'll talk um, just a little bit about this. Growing up, I never really enjoyed reading. I wasn't good at it. I wasn't fast. I was a kid who, like all the reading tests, I couldn't read. I couldn't read the excerpts fast enough to actually answer the questions and comprehend it. I've always thought I I may have some undiagnosed like dyslexia or something like that. I was a terrible speller. I actually have a dictionary from. I think it was like eighth grade that is organized by phonetics, not by spelling. 
I want to say that so everyone knows that the fact that I actually enjoy reading books now is... Incredible, right? Crazy. It's awesome. Yeah. So I have this rule and it, it kind of pushes up against my perfectionism in a way that's a little uncomfortable. What do you do if you're reading a book and you just don't like it? Do you keep going? Do you have an agreement with yourself of like a certain like taste test of the book that you'll allow yourself to stop once you get to XYZ pages? How do you approach that? I think I heard something about this recently, actually, which is funny. I was probably listening to a podcast and they said, you know, if I get 100 pages in and it's not doing it for me, I stop. Life's too short. Same with if I go to a two hour long movie and I'm not feeling it after 30 minutes or whatever they say, I walk out. And it's like, part of me is like, but you just spent, it's that sunk cost thing. It's like, but you spent money on that. It's like, yeah, you spent what, maybe 15, 20 bucks now on a movie. Sure. And is is another hour and a half of your life worth seven fifty? Because you've already watched a half hour. No, it's not. If it's if you if it's not gelling with you, I say walk away. And that's something I want to practice more often is like being able to walk away from things that are not living up to my expectations or maybe my standard. Is that the right way of saying it? I I don't want to come off sounding a certain way. I just maybe just something that you're not enjoying. Yeah, if I'm not be that simple. If I'm if I'm not enjoying it, I don't want I don't want to put myself through more of it because life's too short and I mean so I'm just going to go off a, a little more here it makes me think of with music I learned from a, a mentor of mine a hockey coach he he gave me a mixtape when I was younger and he's like now you have to listen to each each side because it was a, a cassette he's like you have to listen to this both sides at least twice before you pass any judgments. And so part of me does, so I, I'll do that with music if if I really want to give it a shot. But a lot of times, if it doesn't resonate with me, I'm not going to sit there and try to listen to it two times in a row. If somebody vouches for something and says, really, seriously, give this a good listen, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to listen to this at least twice. But if it's coming, if it's coming to like a novel, if it's, I mean, it's going to take me, what, 15, 24 hours to read, I'm not going to, it's, it's just not worth There's so many things out there that I haven't read that I should read or I feel like I should read, right? Should on myself. There's a lot more things out there that if I'm, you know, if I'm not enjoying something, I should move on. How many pages is enough pages to figure that out? That I think maybe depends on the book. It might be like a ratio for how many pages like a book is. I mean, if it's a 350 page book and you're not feeling it by page 50 or 75, is it really worth the rest of the way to go? Like, I don't know if it is. I mean, what is that? So I do. So I have like 100 pages is what I typically. Yeah, but 100 pages of a 400. That's a quarter of a book. I know. That's a lot to read. If it, if you, and then, so you, you. In my head, I'm thinking probably from page 10 on, you're for 90 pages, you're like, I can't believe I'm still reading this. <laughs> there's a book recently I felt that way about. I haven't, I haven't finished it. I haven't picked it up in like three weeks because we were, we were kind of having our own little book club and I just, I can't get into it. We're, the one we're reading with the kids, I'm more interested in that one. And it's kind of both like Greek gods, right? Like yeah. both books. I'm not going to, I don't really want to mention what book it is that I'm not into because I've, 
No, because I, other people really like it, right? Or could like it. But like, I, both, as you were reading it, I was on pace with you for a yeah. little bit. And then you're like, yeah, I'm not really feeling it. And I'm like, me either. It's like, it's just not what I expected, I think. And in two years, I could go back to it and maybe it'd be the most thrilling thing I've ever read. But Anyway, we're, we're we're reading Percy Jackson with the kids for, oh, for our so book good. club. And it's like fast paced and we're only like 75 pages in and I'm just like, this is awesome. I want to read the next five chapters. Yeah. And I took, um, I was saying this morning during a little family book club that I took uh, Greek mythology in college and I'm like making all these connections and it's exciting. I'm like, yes, the mm-hmm. course is coming in handy right now. <laughs> um, but no, Percy Jackson, highly recommend. Yeah. So far, so good, right? Yeah. I mean, 75 pages in, I don't remember how long it is, but I mean, it's a decent, decent length. It's, was it like 350 pages? It's got to be close to 400. Yeah. It was something like that. But it's like, I mean, we've read a good sized chunk of it where it's like, yeah, I'm bought in and I'm going to go along for the ride. Right. But the other one. The other one, I just, you must have slogged. I powered through. You slogged through that. I powered through it. I was somebody that has a history of like not loving writing, reading as a kid. Well, but it does come to my perfectionism, right? Like yeah, somebody gave it to us. Completionist, right? The completionist. Somebody gave it to us and said it's one of their favorite books. And I thought, well, who am I or what am I not what am I not getting? Or and it was it was good in that it challenged some like heteronormative um, oh, yeah. I'm, society. I'm, and so I, yeah. I do think it has nothing to do with that. Has nothing to do with why I don't like it. It's just no, it's no. just a slog. So I do think it was. I don't know what the word is. If it was, it wasn't really heady, but it was more. It was good. It was a good take on a classic, but it was a slog. It was hard to get through, but someday you and I will. I'll try. I'll. I can try to power through it like at sometime, but I I got to get the Percy Jackson reading done for this week first. So I'm way more excited to read that. Um, I thought of a question to sure. ask. I think I know the answer, but it's still interesting. So, so what's more disappointing, starting and never finishing, or finishing but it's not perfect? It's um, a really good question. What's more disappointing, mm-hmm. starting and never finish? Never wait. Is starting and never finishing, or starting but it's not perfect when you're done more disappointing? Oh, it's the first. Yeah. Starting and not finishing. I'm not sure. But like you said something earlier, and I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. I'm like, I'm like, would I be more disappointed? And like, it's pretty disappointing never starting. But honestly, I think there might be a third thing here. This might be what I meant by like starting, but never not, not getting it perfect. Starting a project and never quite finishing it because it's just not like I could finish it, but it's not going to be right. You know, it's it's like a, it's kind of a mix. For me, but yeah, it, it's pretty disappointing to like start something and then it's just like, oh, like I can't, it, it never got finished. It just kind of hangs over you. <laughs> like I'd rather, I'd rather get it done and have it not be right and just, and be able to move on and start, start, start that process again with a new, whether it's a, a new piece or, or whatever. But it's, I wrote that down earlier because I was like, oh, you were saying something. Mm-hmm. I didn't get into the actual solutions in the book. Um, well, maybe, you know, it's, I think it's, it's nice just to be able to get to the, to recognize some of yourself in these types and just have the awareness. Uh, uh, 
it's almost like somebody acknowledging something that you've or being able to name something that you felt but never had the words to describe. It's it's there's some comfort to that. Like, oh, other people experience things similar to me. You know, not maybe exactly the same, but like if I can if she can describe these different types and I can see myself as part of some of them, okay, cool. Like I'm not I'm not alone. <laughs> right? Like yeah. Do you know what I mean? It feels good to be seen, right? Yeah, or just, I think it's just not to be alone with, like, if somebody wrote a book on this, it's because other people have experience, have experiences that are very similar. And I guess that makes you feel seen, but it, I think it also makes you feel heard. You know, and I think that's really important is like, I like, I like the idea of people hearing what I have to say or a- acknowledging my perspective. I, I like, I guess I index on sound more than visuals, but that's probably because I have horrible eyesight. <laughs> I have pretty good hearing and I like music. One thing that's hard for me is to recognize something that potentially could get us stuck without thinking about how, what solutions or strategies do we have, right? Oh, so like, Oh, perfection, perfectionism. We're perfectionists and we struggle with trying to be perfect and blah, blah, blah. And that's basically all we said. Yeah. Well, we don't necessarily need a solution. We're just, we want, we're talking about something that affects us, right? And, um, I mean, we didn't write the book on it. Yeah. But we're reading the book. I, I mean, just the fact that, I mean, like we said, like just being seen or being heard is, it feels good. And so how, how many other people maybe feel the way we feel about, oh, why can't I just do it? Or why can't I just, why can't I get out of my own way? You know, if you've heard that before, like this is going to be something that maybe brings a little solace, like, oh, other people deal with this too kind of thing. It's just, it could, it can just be like, it can be as simple as that. Like, Hey, this is something that we deal with too. And we're trying to figure out maybe how to traverse it, but we're still, we're still in the stage of trying to find solutions. I don't know. And maybe even just acknowledging, because I think so often, like all of us have been put into boxes, right? Like specific boxes. That's what you do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You do surveys and the census or whatever. And we like have to check what box are you a part of and clean cut, right? Exactly. Not that perfectionism's on the census, but I think so often, and I think that's some of the nature of humans, right? Is figuring out who we are and what our world is around us. And so I think sometimes expanding that and not having it be as simplistic as maybe social media or media in general tells us perfectionism is like those two tensions we talked about before. It's something to strive towards. And it's also something to be, I don't know, shameful is the word of, but it's also a negative if you're a perfectionist, like something to be fixed. Yeah. Maybe not shame, but fixed, which no one likes to feel like they have to be fixed. No. And I was just trying to say that, that I think it's important that we recognize that people aren't, that we aren't just easily put into little small oh, like, right. boxes. Yeah. Like, right? He, when the, so what that made me think of was like humans love pattern and we see patterns well. It's like one of our greatest strengths. 
mm. as a species is that we can recognize patterns. But like you said, it doesn't have to be that simple. There can be some some gray area, right? Like uh, it's in, it's I mean it's good to understand. Like we crave that black or white, but on another level, we also kind of want the the freedom of going into the gray area and like having some ambiguity. I think so. It's just it's anyway. That's my little rant. Anything else you want to talk about? Um, well, I mean, I think one of the biggest things, and we talked about this last time too, but around perfectionism is just getting started, right? Like just, like just doing, doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Getting out there, posting the post, starting the project. Um, yeah, what is it? It's like not being so. Was it? It's like just don't be so romantic about it in a way, because mm-hmm. I I fall into that trap of like my perfectionism is it, it, it needing to be perfect means I'm so in love with an idea I have that I can't let it actually come to fruition because I can't. It's not perfect. It's not the way I like. Oh, that that's something else too. It's like I my thoughts and my ideas of what I want to make, I don't have the ability to actually make it. And it's like, it's this like Sisyphean thing that like creatives have. It's like my desire to create something is higher than my ability to create it. And it's really daunting to not be good enough to create something that's in my head. It's, it's super hard. It's just, but I think what's so interesting is if you started creating what's in your head and you repeated creating it five, 10, 20 times. Exactly. It would get to the point where you wanted it to be. Yeah. And that's the next thing, right? Like that's practice. So, so like, yeah, that the practice right, it goes back to practice. The practice is the point, right? It's not about doing the thing perfectly. It's about the process of going on that journey of attempting perfection, right? So do you have any final thoughts, Keith, about perfectionism in our empty board here? I want to say the right thing. Of course you do. (laughs) Okay. Tendencies to be perfect is, is a good thing to be aware of, but just try not to fall into the pitfalls and the traps that it leads you down because you got a lot more to lose trying to be perfect than you do to gain. Yeah. And I guess for me, maybe specifically the way that, that my perfectionism shows up, one thing that I know that I can do is instead of sitting there and struggling, perhaps I can continue to connect with you and talk through it. I think that's incredibly helpful for me. I also think just knowing that we're doing the best we can, that we're showing up honestly with good intention and letting that be good enough, right? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Until next time. All right. Thanks, everybody. Oh, my goodness.